Hello, everybody, and welcome back. This episode of the podcast is going to cover period three review packet. So go ahead and make sure you have all your supplies that you need um, ready. If you need more paper to write extra, go ahead and grab that out. But I'm going to just go ahead and go through it like I've gone the other two periods. Um, So let's go ahead and begin. Key concept 3.1, expansion and intensification of communication and exchange networks. One, improved transportation technologies and commercial practices led to an increased volume of trade and expanded the geographical range of existing and newly active trade networks. A. In the space below, for each of the given trade routes, identify a new trade city that developed and explain why that specific trade route was critical to its growth and flourishing. So again, you know, you can pick any city and be able to justify it, you know, make sure you can justify. So for the Silk Roads, I picked Hang, uh, Hangzhou, or Hangzhou um, which is located near the causes of growth, is due to its location near China's southern coast and on the Grand Canal. It was the departure point for Chinese goods to Korea, Japan, and Southeast Asia in the Indian Ocean Trade Network. Second trade route, the Mediterranean Sea, I picked Constantinople, and its growth was because it was the capital of the Byzantine Empire. It was a major hub due to its location between Europe and Asia, so it was like a connecting median between the two. It was also the location of the end of the Silk Road, and this would allow it to be a major transporter of goods to European markets. The next route, the Trans-Saharan, I picked Timbuktu, and its location in the southern tip of the Sahara Desert raised its importance for a caravan trade, and it became an exchange point for West African gold and North African salt. And this allowed it to become a major hub for scholarship and learning and education because of the influx of money to the region. So it became like a a center for education, culture, learning, as well as market. The next one is the Indian Ocean Basin. And the city is Malacca. This is a very important city in this region um, because of the spice trade. It was a collection point for spices grown on the tiny islands across Indonesia. So they would take the, all the spices from those islands and ship them to Malacca. And it would be the um, uh, destination point for all the spices. And the city's location on the Straits of Malacca allowed it to collect tolls for the people who were passing um, through the strait and control the passages of who was going to be able to come in and come out. So they made money that way as well. B, in the space below, identify two communication and exchange networks that developed in the Americas. Explain a unique function and or aspect of that network. So the first network I did was the Aztecs network. And my explanation was that the Aztec routes would span several thousand miles in length, beginning in the capital and spanning all the way to North American tribes, um, like the Pueblo and the New Mexican uh, or New Mexico and Arizona um, tribes. So this is very important because we see that even though they may be miles and miles and miles apart, the North American um, Southwest Indian or I mean Native American um, tribes really were influenced and had a lot of communication with the Aztecs, which sometimes we don't think about, but that's very interesting, those connections that they had. The second network was the Incans or the Inca. And basically I wrote that their trade network spanned over 25,000 miles and it was a trans-regional route that basically connected South America to the Aztecs and so forth and all over South America. Um, 
that would go far south as Chile and far north as central Mexico to the Aztec Empire. So it basically spanned most of South America and all the way up to the Aztecs. So they had a lot of communication with that um, tribe as well, or civilization. It's larger than a tribe. C. In the space below, identify and explain the importance of three luxury goods that became increasingly significant during this period. So the luxury good one, I chose silk. Um, It remained a high luxury good due to the quality of the product. Colors and patterns in silk could and would denote rank and profession within society. And it was a significant signal of social status. So if you wore silk and you wore a specific color of silk, it meant you had had this much um, holding in society or rank or um, pool in society. So silk was very important. Another one is porcelain. And the strength and beauty of the glassware allowed for those of wealth to be able to flaunt their status and um, prestige in society. It was also significant because of the quality of the product. It was very good quality, high quality um, wear that you could use for china or you can use for decorative, which people use more for decorative today than actually eating off of. Um, But it was very much a status symbol like silk. And my last luxury good was spices. excuse me and again this is just another status symbol for the west Um, these items are significant in changing the cuisine um, medicine and the preservative powers um, of spices really would change the um, culture and how food is prepared how medicines are made and how health and nutrition are looked at in this in um, in europe The next section in the space below identify and explain two forms of credit and monetization that developed during this time. So the first um, method I used was flying money. So flying money would allow merchants to pay for goods or taxes without having to transport coins in bulk. Um, It's similar to modern day checks. Um, And it required the existence of two established networks, one network of banks and one network of merchants. So you had to have those two institutions in place in order for flying money to happen or to be able to exist. So flying money is like checks, like you don't have the actual cash, but they can go and take it to the bank and the bank will give them the money, you know. The second is banking houses. So the banking system um, is where a merchant could place his money in the safekeeping of a bank, which would in turn issue a bill of credit that could be used to purchase goods. So think of like kind of like a credit card or like a debit card. You put your check or your money into the bank and they deposit that amount of money onto your debit card. And then that's how much money you have. So they're giving you a line of credit or a bill of credit that this is how much credit you have, how much you could spend, you know. Fill in the grids below by identifying the technology, its location of origin, and its relationship to interregional trade. So the first one is an astrolab. Its original location or location of origin is India. And the relationship to interregional trade is that it allowed skilled sailors to determine their latitude at sea. So it helped increase maritime travel and maritime exchange. The second is caravan routes or the caravan. And its location of origin is Central Asia. Um, and you can also put Africa. And the relationship to interregional trade, uh, because it was used in Africa as well, um, this style of trade was required due to the inhospitable regions of Central West Asia and Africa, Sub-Saharan Africa. 
It also allowed for merchants to trade only high profit luxury items that would make the journey risky. So like in Sub-Saharan Africa, you're trading gold and salt. Um, in the Middle East and Central Asia, you're going to be trading very high luxury goods. So it's a high risk, high risk, high reward situation. The next one is a compass. Its location is China, uh, origin is China. And relationship to interregional trade is that it allowed sailors to be able to find the direction within a space and help them to navigate the oceans for travel and trade. The last technology is the junk, and its location of origin is China. Its relationship to trade is that it allowed Chinese merchants to carry large cargoes to and from China, which in turn equaled large profits. D. In the space below, explain how much of the following state practices facilitated commercial growth. Incan road system. So the Incan road system, I kind of talked about this before, was a network of 25,000 miles of roads spanning from Chile to central Mexico. Um, And this road facilitated trade due to its scale and its location of interaction. So the people who interacted with it. So trade organizations, the Hanseatic League. Um, So Novogrod to London, that's the extent of the trade. So Novogrod Novogrod is in Russia, all the way to London in in England. Um, And it was established to protect trade between member cities. So if your city was a part of this league, um, you guys would protect each other from, you know, uh, theft or robbery or any incident like that. It also had its own court systems and the ability to summon militaries to protect the trade. So it's kind of like um, you, an alliance between different cities, like an economic alliance to work together and to protect economic um, ventures. The next is commercial infrastructure. So roads or canals built for the purpose of trade. So we have the Grand Canal of China is a good example. So China took on the massive engineering project to increase trade. Um, The ability to connect different cities allowed for China to command um, economic unification and would allow the country um, to benefit for 1,000 years. So it was very, very um, positive for the Chinese. Um, Paper money allowed for merchants to increase the amount of product they bought or sold without having to add um, the added you know, um, burden of carrying coin in bulk. So having another ant pack animal to have to carry all this coin, paper money was more efficient. Um, coin minting. So this is when you, you know, you're making coins, you're minting coins, you're putting them out there for distribution, um, allowed for the standardization of money. And it helped by setting a standard for each of the, for each coin and made it easier to trade. So coin minting meant that this coin is this amount of money, this coin is this amount of money, and that's just the standard <clears throat> across everywhere. So E, explain how each of the empires listed below facilitated Afro-Eurasian trade and communication by conquering other peoples. Use specific examples. So the Islamic Caliphates, um, they had a pro-trade beginning, which accounted for the rapid spread of Islam Um, Merchants traveled farther than armies, remember, so they were able to spread religion to more remote areas. And as more regions accepted um, the religion, um, an increase in merchants and new economies would then increase the wealth of the caliphate. Um, And this would lead to the creation of banks, credit systems, um, as well as the increase of the Trans-Saharan route that took salt and gold back to the Islamic Empire. So remember, Muhammad was a merchant. 
um, also, so he very much is a proponent of trade and um, communication with others. The next is the Byzantine Empire. Um, it allowed for the broadening of people who participated in commerce. Um, the conquering of North Africa and Italy allowed for major cities to connect. So you had Alexandria, Tripoli, Crete, and Sicily all connected. And it ser- served as a connection between the Mediterranean and the Arab trade. Because remember, it's kind of that um, buffer between Europe and the Middle East. Chinese da- uh, dynasties, um, the Su, the Tang, and the Song. Um, the military expansion of China in the 7th century um, brought more ethnic groups under the control of the Chinese, and this would provide new commercial links for the growing country. And as a result, Chang'an, which is that cosmopolitan city, um, served as the eastern end, um, or you can say the start of the Silk Road and the northern end um, of the Grand Canal. The Mongol Empire. So the Mongol Empire, remember, is this unstoppable force during this period um, under the control of Genghis Khan. And he allowed for the consolidation of the entirety of the Silk Road to be under control of one ruler. Because remember, he basically controlled all of Asia, um, Russia, the Middle East, um, those areas. So China, Mongolia, Middle East, um, um, and Russia. So he had a large, large pool. So the Mongols would benefit and trade would flourish under the tolerant tribesmen uh, leaders. In the era of Pax Mongolica, um, there was a flourish of trade that made the empire very wealthy. Section two, the movement of people caused environment and linguistic effects. In the space below provide two examples of how the expansion and intensification of long distance trade routes often depended on environmental knowledge and technological adaptions to it. So, technological and environmental interaction one, um, ships and seas. So, the expansion of the Norsemen, so your Vikings, uh, made possible by the use of the longship, which is that 40-foot wide sail, which had a 40-foot wide sail that could catch those north North sea winds and allowed the ship to drive um, rapidly and increase their speed down the coasts of many of those um, Central and Southern European countries. The longship also allowed the Vikings to maneuver through shallower rivers like the Seine, which allowed them to be able to attack and sack Paris. The second technological and environment interaction were camels and deserts. So being able to understand the inhospitable environment of Central and Western Asia, as well as Sub-Saharan Africa, traders took advantage of the camel, which was very well adapted to the environment. Camels can drink up to 50 gallons of water, you know, without needing to rehydrate for several days. Um, And they also have evolutionary traits that protect them from desert storms. So their eyelashes, they have like double eyelashes to protect their eyes from the sands. Um, Their um, feet are also well suited for traveling across the deserts. Um, So they have these evolutionary traits that are beneficial. So the people knew that, so they used it to their advantage. B. Explain the impact that the Bantu migration and their transmission of iron technologies and agricultural techniques had on the environment of sub-Saharan Africa. So the effect on agriculture was great. Um, The sharp iron tools that the Bantu people used uh, made reaping of crops faster and it allowed more crops to be grown. Um, The introduction of irrigation and terrace farming Um, would require land to be cleared, which resulted in land erosion, um, which, you know, makes 
some land, land unable to grow things, and cattle would also accelerate land clearing. Explain the impact of Polynesian migration had on the environment due to transplantation of food and domesticated animals to new islands. So one animal that was transported was the pig, and it was transported to Hawaii, and it had significant consequences. Um, they destroyed much of the indigenous plant and animal life there, um, but it also became a staple food for the Hawaiians. So they adopted it as a major protein source as well. So it had its good things and its bad things. Um, bananas would lead to population increase in Africa, which would cause further land exhaustion. And you also see the Polynesians introducing... Um, introducing the sweet potato as well along their travels and bringing back things to the Polynesian region as well. In the space below, explain how migration and commercial contacts led to the diffusion of languages um, throughout a new region or led to the emergence of new languages. So the language I chose was Swahili, and the language of East Africa is a blend of those Bantu languages and the Arabic language, and this is plausible due to the large number of Islamic merchants trading along that Indian Ocean basin, which is eastern, um, which also included eastern Africa. Section 3. Cross-cultural exchange were fostered by the intensification of existing or the creation of new networks of trade and communication. Complete the grid below to identify key facets of the Islamic religion. So Islam, remember, is monotheistic. Its relative location is Saudi Arabia. The key god is Allah. Key figures and or prophets, Muhammad, and the approximate founding is the 7th century. Um, the religious text is the Quran. It's spelled Q-U-R apostrophe A-N. And then, of course, your moral philosophy is the five pillars. You have Shahada, which is your faith, Salah, which is prayer, Sakat, which is charity, Sawam, which is fasting, and Hajj, which is the pilgrimage to Mecca. So faith, prayer, charity, fasting, and your pilgrimage. Explain how the following religions influenced the development of Islamic religion. Christianity. It's monotheistic. They have similar prophets, similar leaders in their religious texts. Judaism, Hebrew, Hebrewism is monotheistic. Similar prophets, similar leaders, similar texts. Um, and Zoroastrianism, the ideas of good and evil, heaven and hell are similar. And they believe in a linear history. Explain how Islam spread based on the methods listed below. Use specific examples. Military expansion. Um, spread from the Arabian Peninsula to the Byzantine provinces, North Africa, and into Spain to the Iberian Peninsula. Merchants and trade systems began with a strong emphasis on trade. Both Mohammed and his wife were involved in trade, remember. The pilgrimage to Mecca provided merchants to make contacts and find new trading partners. And it assisted in spreading Islam and strengthening the ties of commerce between Muslims and non-Muslims. Missionaries. The Brotherhood emerged among the Sufis and they were the ones to increase conversions to Islam. In the space below, identify two diasporic communities and explain how they introduced their culture into that of the indigenous peoples. So the first community I chose is Jewish people, or the Hebrews. Um, Jewish merchants spread as far as China. Um, record, this was recorded by Marco Polo in his um, diaries. And they provided convenient trade links between the East and the West. The second diasporic community are Muslim merchants. Um, this increased due to their travels into the Indian Ocean Basin. Um, it also spread through marriage with local Indian women, which created a Muslim population in India. 
C. In the space below, identify a traveler within Afro-Eurasia that wrote about their travels. Then explain how their writings illustrate both the extent and the limitations of intercultural knowledge and understanding. The traveler I picked that was, I think, pretty um, good in doing both of these things and not limited was Ibn Battuta. Um, Ibn Battuta is a Muslim um, traveler, cartographer. And the extent of intercultural knowledge was the ability to describe... Um, what he experienced and give examples of their time or of his time in these locations. So he was very um, descriptive and being able to just tell you what was going on, how it was going on, how it was presented. But the limitation of his knowledge was being able to fully understand the cultures of the peoples um, he came into contact with, their traditions, their histories, their um, um, practices and beliefs. He wasn't able to understand that. Um, he had a lot of... Um, not so nice things to say about Chinese people as well as some of the people in Africa um so there you have it so on the map you are supposed to be able to trace the diffusion of the religion so be able to do that or the cultures in the space below identify two technologies and or scientific innovations that diffused from their original location so the first one I picked is iron technologies um from the, the Bantus in Africa and this would go on to affect agriculture across the continent um, and just change the way of life on how people farmed. The second one I did was gunpowder, um, location in China, and the impact it would allow people to harness new powers of weapons through the use of this new technology of gunpowder. So now they can make new weapons, invent new weapons, as well as use it against their enemies. So increased conflict probably was um, an impact. Section four, in the space below, identify three impacts of diffusion of a disease like the bubonic plague had on the Eastern Hemisphere. Disease one, or disease impact one, um, it would weaken the uh, ability for Christianity to resist those Muslim, Muslim armies from Arabia. The second impact was that tenant farmers and urban workers began to demand higher wages with better terms. And the third impact was that it undermined Mongol rule and permanently altered the balance between pastoral and agricultural peoples. In the space below, identify two crops that diffused from their original locations. Crop one, the sweet potato, um, original location, South America, new locations, Oceania. So the Polynesians brought that back with them on their travels to um, the Western hemisphere. Crop two is the banana, coconut, or taro, or taro. Um, its original location was Indonesia, and its new location was East Africa, and it spread throughout the continent. Key Concept 3.2, Continuity and Innovation of State Forms and Their Interactions. Section 1, Empires Collapsed and Were Reconstituted. In some regions, new states formed and emerged. A. For each of the empires listed that collapsed and then later reconstituted itself, identify and explain one traditional source of power they drew from and one innovation they used that was better suited to their specific local context. The Byzantine Empire. Their traditional source of power and or legitimacy was the Roman law system. And the innovative source of power and legitimacy was the evolution of the Code of Justinian. Um, the Code of Justinian was created and it gave order and security to the collection of the diverse peoples of the empire. The theme system was that imperial organization under the leadership of a general organized um, administration and defensive um, situations. The Chinese um, dynasty, Confucian bureaucracy, civil service examinations, and a continuation of the patriarchy. 
um, the new innovative source, attempted to address the unequal distribution of land. Um, they also wanted an equal field system that prevented peasants' um, land from falling into the hands of the aristocracy. And then the tributary states became standardized. So those are the additions to the original sources of power and legitimacy. The Abbasid Caliphate, the Arabic military aristocracy, they used a salaried bureaucracy and it could be promoted or dismissed at any whim of the caliph. So it wasn't someone who was um, promoted. It was a job, just like you get hired or fired whenever by your boss. B, in the space below, identify an Islamic state, a Mongol Khanate, a city-state, and a decentralized form of feudalism that developed a new form of governance. Provide an explanation of what makes it unique. So the Islamic state, the Abbasid, it created a paid bureaucratic system, again, that allowed for more access for individuals to advance or decline, and it put an end to racial policies, and it centralized the bureaucratic state. The Mongol Khanate. The one I chose is the Khanate of the Golden Horde, which is located in Russia. Um, the Russian experience was different than the other Khanates. Um, Russia had little to offer the Mongols, and the Russian princes received appointments from the Khan. So the Russians benefited more than the Mongols. Um, and they would institute Mongol taxes that would affect the peasantry or the common people. Um, no real direct rule allowed for Russians to have more freedoms and more willing to adopt Mongolian ideas um, and technologies and beliefs and things like that. So the Russians did benefit way more than the Mongols did. City-state one. I picked the Mexica, and they developed their military capacity. They served as mercenaries. Um, they, they would be the people who negotiated elite marriages between tribes. Um, and they also built up their own city-states. Um, in 1428, they had an alliance with two other city-states, which would then allow them to conquer their neighboring city-states and consolidate their power. The second city-state I picked was Kilwa. Kilwa um, was a city that was the farthest down um, a ship could sail in monsoon. Um, it attracted trade in southern Africa, so it's you know in southern Africa, and Islam would give rise to a more independent city-state. Um, but they were largely affected by Muslim merchants. So the religion, the beliefs, the laws, and things like that from the Islamic empire would come into this region as well. Decentralized feudalism. I picked Western Europe. Um, after the fall of Rome, nothing formed really to replace the security of the empire. So Europeans would look to local landowners to provide for them. And this created uh, reciprocal bonds on service and loyalty. So that's where we have our feudal structure, the feudal lord, the manor, um, and that type of stuff be created. And the power of the king become weak and the power of the lords um, increase. So in the space below, identify two um, city-states. So I'm gonna do Mayan city-states. Um, so the relative location is Guatemala and the Yucatan. The approximate founding is 250 CE. Um, 1450 CE is when it ended. Um, political economic characteristics, not a centralized government, but a small organization of city kingdoms, often competing with one another. Tikal was the most powerful of these locations. Remember Tikal is um, a very um, important religious and city center for the Mayans. Their religious system <clears throat> dealt with uh, Populvu, um, P-O-P-U-L, space V-U-H. It was basically the Mayan creation story. They were polytheistic and their gods were um, anthropomorphic. So they were animalistic but had human features, remember? 
technological innovations. They learned how to trap river silt with terraces to replenish fertility. Um, artistic and scientific innovations. Um, they developed a mathematical system, the concept of zero, observations of the night sky, created calendars. They had elaborate writing system of phonetic, syllabi- uh, syllabic, and pictographic um, writing. <clears throat> the Mexica and the Aztecs. Um, their relative location is central Mexico. Their approximate founding is 1200 CE. Their economic characteristics slash political characteristics are loosely structured empire that witnessed frequent rebellions. So there was constant violence um, from the conquered people. Conquered peoples were the labor force that was used by the Aztecs. Um, their religious system was polytheistic. Um, they believed in human sacrifice would be a method to um, placate the gods. Um, Huitzilopochtli was the Aztec patron deity. Um, the technological innovations, the chinapas, which were those floating gardens, would surround the cities. They would use dugout canoes, um, um, a lot of use of gold and metallurgy to create these elaborate jewelry and uh, masks and things like that. <coughs> Artistic, scientific innovations, large temples to the gods, astronomy. Um, concentrated on medicinal herbs they had a very complex calendar they used obsidian for their weapons remember they didn't have metal so they used stone music and dance were important features of aztec ceremonies and holidays Um, gifted painters and sculptors um, depicted gods and religious ceremonies on the temples or in their statues the next one was the inca Um, their relative location is the andean region or modern peru Their founding is the 14th and 15th centuries. Um, Their political economic characteristics, they were small merchant class, um, but trade was controlled by the government. They used cultural imperialism, forcing their language and religion on conquered people. So they weren't um, letting, they weren't assimilating to their conquered people. They would force the conquered people to assimilate to them. Um, centralized their rule through a complex bureaucracy and had a large professional army supported by peasants through that Mita system, remember? The religious system, ruler was believed to be a god. Technological innovations, they built extensive suspension bridges over rivers, vastly enlarging the system of terracing, um, built large canals to support crops. Artistic and scientific innovations, the advancements in medicine, surgery, Um, Skull fragments were removed to alleviate pressure, so basically like very intensive surgery. Um, Textile uh, mining for uh, clothing, or textile making for clothing was a very important medium. Ink and art um, was very high quality. The design symbolized people's statuses. Gold sculptures and jewelry, metallurgy were um, instituted. Music, drums, the use of shell horns, rattles would help facilitate the increase in musical expression. Um, And massive stone buildings fit together um, so well that you cannot slip a knife between the two. They're so well put together and engineered. Um, That's why you have that show Ancient Aliens where that crazy guy with the crazy hair believes aliens built all that stuff. But anyway, moving on. Section 2. For each of the ones below... Um, where interregional conflict and contact occurred, identify technological and cultural transfers. So conflict between Tang, China, and the Abbasids. Um, as the Tang would expand um, westward, we do see an increased um, tension occur with the Abbasid Empire. Um, the Battle of Talas in 751 would end the westward advancement into Central Asia. 
and the transfer is, is of Islam and the decline of Buddhism in Central Asia um, allowed for Islam to kind of take over some places in China, <clears throat> of Western China. And the technology of paper making was transferred between the two. Mongol empires. The spread of Islamic math, mathematics and astronomy, algebra, would help to create uh, contacts between the two. Um, religious ceremonies between the two would also help solidify bonds, um, like the marriage between multiple uh, multiple people of different religions. Transfer of food such as grapes, fruit trees, as well as luxury um, items as pepper, cinnamon, and tea were ha- uh, were traded. The introduction of block printing and gunpowder was traded as well. The Crusades. Um, Technological and cultural transfers, included Muslim science and medicine, was shown to be superior than the Europeans. Um, sword making from the Muslim Ar- Muslims, Arabic numerals, the decimal system. Chess and food such as yogurt, coffee, sugar, and dates were exchanged, um, were given to the Europeans. So the Europeans definitely gained way more than the Muslims did from this interaction. Chinese maritime activity led by um, Zheng He. He set out to establish the reputation of the Ming Dynasty in the Indian Ocean Basin. He sailed to the Southeast Southeast Asia, India, and the East Coast of Africa. Um, It was not an attempt to gain converts or conquer, but rather a diplomatic mission. He established 20 tributary and diplomatic relations across the Indian Ocean, and silk and porcelain were exchanged. So key concept 3.3, increased economic product, uh, productive capacity and its consequences. One, innovation stimulated agricultural industrial production in many regions. In the space provided, identify and explain two technological innovations that significantly increased agricultural production. So terracine, remember it's used in the mountains of South America and East Asia. The steep incline of the mountain um, sculpted into concentric flat platforms, so like stairs, that allowed agriculture to be, pl- agriculture to be planted in a place that, you know, would not have been hospitable before. Um, and then the next one is chinapa. So remember raked piles of mounds um, above the surface of the water that were used to um, grow crops. They were small, fertile little islands. Um, allowed for marshy wetlands of Lake Texacoco to be used for growing crops. B. What factors caused Chinese, Persian, and Indian artisans and merchants to expand the production of textiles and porcelains for exports? Well, it's really basically the demand for foreign luxury ger- goods, goods, sorry, goods from the Europeans and Africa, um, as well as the Crusades. The event of the Crusades will increase that demand as well. Two, the fate of cities varied greatly. With the periods of significant decline and with periods of increased urbanization uh, buoyed by the rising productivity and expanding network um, trade networks. So identify and explain three causes of urban decline during this period. One cause is disease um, due to the fact trading um, during this era shot through the roof because of the crusades and just interregional exchange so much going across both land and sea routes would increase disease being carried the second is invasions so one example is the arabs invading all the places um, they would loot and would devastate the cities as well as destroy crops and homes and agricultural productivity um, the role to urban decline would be due to the increased invasions and disease we had a population decrease which equals less workers which increases lower agricultural productivity (coughs) excuse me identify and explain three factors that led to urban revival during this period so the end of the invasions would um 
allow that initial decline to be able to slowly recover and start their lives over and rebuild and feel safe and be able to repopulate. Safe transport um, increased urban revival. Whenever people invaded, they would develop a large empire and this empire would increase trade and there'd be protection for trade and travel and things like that. And safety um, would also increase. The rise of commerce increased revival by the availability uh, availability of new economic ventures and the increased demand of new goods. Section three, despite a significant continuities in social structures and methods of production, there were also some important changes in labor management and in the effect of religious conversion on gender relations and family. Explain each form of labor organization that occurred during this period. So you had your free present agriculture, which was the majority of the population who were still land-owning rural farmers. You had nomadic pastoralists who were peasants without land, um, who followed animals from pasture to pasture, moved about 150 miles per year in a radius. Um, craft production and guild organization. So craft, craftsmen would work on a specific craft instead of agricultural um, work, and they performed in a workshop. And basically a guild is a collection of craftsmen t- um, who came together to protect their craft. In Paris, um, there were 350 guilds by the 14th century. Then you had your coerced and unfree labor. So this is like your um, serfs. So your forced labor. um, So serfdom, slavery, or that Mita system in the Americas. Then you had your government-imposed labor. This would be like um, medieval taxes taxes were paid to the ruling class or the king. um, And labor would be owned or paid by the estate. Military obligations. So a surfer peasant would own milita- uh, would be responsible to serve the Lord in military service. Their primary reason for the Lord to enter a feudal contract was to have this beneficial relationship between the two. B, for each of the civilizations listed below, explain how despite the persistence of patriarchy, women exercised more power and influence than in previous periods. The Mongol Empire. Uh, women moved about freely and refused uh, the burqa from the west and foot binding from the east. Um, women were often top advisors to the Khan, um, including a five-year span where Torajin Genghis, Genghis's daughter-in-law, ruled the empire. So that's um, major leaps for women. West African um, women are extremely, um, they are considered extremely beautiful. They're more beneficial and more important than men in their culture. Um, Japan were often isolated during the Henan period or Heian period, and there's one woman, Lady uh, Murasaki, who taught herself to write and wrote um, the world's first novel. And uh, basically, many restrictions were lifted. Some women even became samurai, and that um, story, that novel that Lady uh, Murasaki wrote, was the tale of the Genji or the Genji. and it's the world's first novel ever so the first novel ever written was by a woman that's very interesting Um, so southeast asia women traditionally had more freedoms as their work was agricultural Um, they controlled the markets there was no financial burden due to bride bride prices and men moved in with um, their wife's family See, in the space below, explain the role of serfdom in Japan and Europe and the elaboration of the Mita system in the Incan Empire. So European serfdom uh, was a form of corvée that dominated um, Europe from 1000 to the mid-1800s. Serfs had their own land, 
um, but had to work a plot of land for their lord. Um, Japanese serfdom was very similar to their western counterpart. Um, serfs owned, um, owed their lords and would repay it by work or coerced labor and military service in defense of that land. The Incan Mita system required all males to complete mandatory public service. The Inca made sure to allow people time to work their own land, but then they would make them come back and work on public works projects. Identify and explain one instance of free peasants resisting attempts to raise um, dues and taxes by staging a result. A revolt. Um, one is the Basil Copper Hand that happened in 932. Um, it's where a man who whose hand was cut off as punishment led a rebellion of angry peasants from t- Turkey, um, and they were refusing to pay those high taxes. And the Byzantine army sent, uh, or the Byzantines ended up sending an army, ended the rebellion, and they basically captured this guy and burned him alive. So it didn't end well. Um, In the space below, provide two instances in how the diffusion of Buddhism, Christianity, Islam, and or Neo-Confucianism led to significant changes in gender relation and or family structure. So Buddhism, um, it impacted the family and gender relations through the um, adoption of Confucian ideas of patriarchy, um, clashing with Buddhist spirit of equality. So there was this kind of fight between the traditional ideas of Buddhism kind of commingling with the Confucian ideas. Foot binding began during this period, so that is another way of gender relations decreasing, at least for women. Christianity, uh, convents were created, um, which provided a w- women a way out. So they were a good and bad thing. They could be used as a punishment for women to trap them in a very uh, isolated lifestyle. But it also could be a good thing because when you went to convents, you received an education. You learned how to read. You learned how to write. You learned how to read in multiple languages. You learned how to write in multiple languages. Um, you also received out- education outside reading and writing. You could learn science, mathematics. Um, but you also had the ability to um, be out of the cycle of marriage and child rearing and provide a path for learning that was alternative to the time. So convents were definitely a way for women to not have to go through the cycle of growing up, getting married, having babies, having babies, having babies, and that's your life. You could grow up, you could marry God, and you could learn and have a full life and help people as well. Um, The next one is Islam. Uh, Gender equality teaching were overshadowed by the Persian traditions of veiling, seclusions, and the harem. And we do see the increase in Sharia law instituted in some regions, um, which would lower the um, rights of women. Um, Neo-Confucianism. Disorder is produced by women, is what is said. Um, A woman ruler is 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 a hen crowing. Women's greatest duty is to produce a son, and women are to be led and to follow others. So they're very much backwards in the belief that women are supposed to be subservient, silent. Um, They should not be in positions of power. So that is the end of period three. Um, Go ahead and fill in any areas that you did not, or just go ahead and listen to this as a re-review before we test. Remember, our test is on May uh, 16th. It's a Thursday. Um, It's in the morning, so... Make sure you're well-prepared, well-slept, and have a good breakfast. And make sure you review all these periods. Okay, I'll see you later, guys. Bye.